Convicted and Convinced, a message from God's Word for you. Here's Pastor Robert Manessis. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to the book of John chapter 14. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John chapter 14. Thank you, Nolan. John chapter 14. Notice the title of the message. What does it say? Notice I didn't say mine or your faithfulness. I said God's faithfulness. (laughs) John 14, verse 1. Say amen if you're there. And Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you, and I go and prepare a place for you. Verse 3 is one of my favorite verses of all the Bible. And if I go and prepare a place for you, what does Jesus say? I will come again. To receive it in myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus said, I will come again. It's a promise, and God's word never fails. Amen. In the book Maranatha, look what we're told. She says, we believe without a doubt that Christ is soon, to co- that Christ is soon coming. And then she says, this is not a fable to us. It's reality. Amen. It's not a fable, it's reality. But before Jesus can come, look what he says in Matthew chapter 24. Go to the book of Matthew, first book of the New Testament. Matthew 24, look at verse 14. Before he would come, he said that this would happen. Matthew chapter 24. What verse did I say? 14. Man, the, the ones on my right are awake. God bless you. I'm going to stand more over here today. I'm going to stand more over here. I'm going to stand more over here. You know, just quickly, do you know that they had a study? And the study was is that the, the man speaking, depending on what way he would usually go, is where the people would sit. So they began to see that he kept walking to the right, and the people began to sit more here. And then he began to walk. Then like a few weeks later, he would walk more to the left, and it sort of began to shift this way, right? So I'm going to stand right in the middle. John, Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, and Jesus said, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached where? To all the world, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, as a witness to all nations, and then what will happen? The end will come, and this gospel, and this what? And this gospel. Now, here's the thing. In the book of Revelation, this gospel is unpacked. Go to Revelation chapter 14. Let's take a look. It's referred to in the Bible as the three angels' messages But I want you to tell me what the first order of business is in the three angels' messages. We'll take a look here. But as you're turning to Revelation chapter 14, last book of the Bible, chapter 14, beginning in verse 6, 
As you're turning there, what did Jesus say must happen before he returns? It was this gospel and this gospel. Well, let's take a look at this gospel in Revelation 14. And where was this gospel to go back in Matthew 24? To all the world. Are we in Revelation 14, verse 6? Yes, speak to me. Chapter 6 says, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven. And what was the first thing that he has? There it is. And having the everlasting gospel, and look at this, to preach to those who dwell where? On the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. That sort of sounds like what Jesus said, yes or no, back in Matthew. And when this gospel goes to all the world, then I will return. And in Revelation chapter 14, this gospel is unpacked and in greater detail. Are you with me? So I praise God that the gospel is not only to go to Pensacola, Florida, amen, but to all the world. God loves everybody. He wants all to come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. Can you say amen? God is not a respecter of persons or color or any, anything. He wants all to accept him. Hallelujah. We now go to verse 7. It continues to say, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him. For the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth to sea and the springs of water. Verse 8, and then the angel falls, saying, Babylon has fallen, has fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out in full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and the uh, um, uh, uh, holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Verse 11, and the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Verse 12, here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. Now, if you come to prayer meeting in two weeks, I told you that we're going to spend a year studying what we just read. I'm wetting your appetite tonight, okay? or today, not tonight, today. The gospel, though, is the first order of business that needs to go out. What's the first order of business? The gospel. Now, go back to verse 6. And in verse 6 it said that the gospel again is to go to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. Therefore, we can come to the clear conclusion that this is a universal message, yes or no? Yes. It's a universal what? Message. Okay? Now, if you go to verse 7, there are three imperatives found in verse 7. How many imperatives? Three. Three imperatives. Let's take a look at verse 7. There are three imperatives here. It says saying with a loud voice. Now, if you say something with a loud voice, that means it's important, yes or no. I've been accused on multiple times by children. Like, I don't know, children, they say, you preach too loud. I've been told that. 
not just by one, but like several kids. And I tell them, well, it's because everything I have to say is important. <laughs> yeah, I've been accused of preaching too loud. Anyway, I hope I'm not. So, how many imperatives? Can somebody maybe pick out what you think the first imperative is in verse 7? Yeah, fear God. Is, that's right. The first imperative there is to fear God. And we're going to see it doesn't mean to be scared of God, but to respect and reverence God. Second imperative, can you see it there? It, that's right, give glory to Him. And we'll see what that means sometime in the future. Why should we fear Him and give Him glory? Because the hour of His judgment has come. And then what's the third imperative? That's right, worship Him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, in other words, worship the Creator. Are you with me so far? You can say yes. All right. How many imperatives? Three. Fear God, give glory to Him, and worship Him who made the heaven, the earth, and the sea. And then we have a warning. Babylon has fallen. This is symbolism. For those who are with me studying the Bible this morning, literal Babylon fell in 539 B.C. So this has to be talking about a symbolic Babylon. We'll have to study what that is if you come, of course, to prayer meeting. And then the third uh, 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 message is do not worship the beast or his image and don't receive the mark of the beast. On contrast to that, you want to receive the seal of God. But now here's my point. We're going to see here in a minute that this is God's last day message to the world. God's end-time, last-day message to the world to prepare them for His soon return. Let me show you from the Bible that's true. So, look at the Bible. We're in Revelation chapter 14, verse 6. And we saw, first of all, that Jesus said that when the gospel goes to all the world, then the end will come. In Revelation 14, we have now the, the uh, complete gospel spread out here in the last days to gospel is first, and then fear Him and give glory, and then we have uh, worship Him, and then we have the first warning, Babylon has fallen. We come to verses 9 through 12, and we have the third angel and all that there. Are you with me so far? Now look at verse 14. After the proclamation of this threefold message to all the world, look at what John sees. Verse 14, take a look. What's the first three words? Then I looked. Don't miss it, okay? Look at me first here, okay? Look at this. Verses 6 through 12, we have the three angels' messages going to all the nation, every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. Yes or no? And after the proclamation of this threefold message to all the world, John says, then I looked. And let's see what he saw. Verse 14, then I looked, and behold, a white cloud... And on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man. Who's the Son of Man? It's Jesus. Having on his head a golden crown, and on his hand a sharp sickle, does Christ not return as King of kings and Lord of lords? This is the second coming. Next verse. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud, loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is 
ripe. So he who sat on the cloud thrust his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Now, I want you to hold on to two words, reap and harvest. What's the first word? Reap. What's the second word? Okay. Now, again, proclamation of the three angels to all the world. John then says, I saw Christ coming in the cloud to reap, for the harvest was ripe for the harvest. Sorry, earth was ripe for the harvest. Are you with me? Okay. So what was the first word? And what was the second? Okay. Keep something in Revelation chapter 14. Don't, don't lose that, but go to Matthew 13, and you're going to see those words again. Don't, don't lose Revelation 14. We're going to come right back to that. But go to Matthew 13, and let's decipher what the word reap and harvest means there in the context of those verses in Revelation 14. We let the Bible be its own interpreter. Can you say amen? Matthew chapter 13. Again, don't lose Revelation 14. We're going to come right back to that. But I'm going to show you from the Bible that the three angels' messages is God's end-time message to all the world to prepare them for His soon return, to ripen the world. Are you with me? Revelation chapter, I mean, Matthew 14, we begin... Did I say Matthew 14? Okay. Again, the right is winning here, left. Let's go. On my right, at least. Here we go. Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 24. Say amen if you're there. What's the two words I told you to hold on to? Reap and? Okay. Revelation, uh, Matthew chapter 13, verse 24. And another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, an enemy came and sowed tares among his wheat and went his way. But when the grain has sprouted, he produced the crop, and then the tares also appeared. This is Jesus speaking. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The servants said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? Verse 29. But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Verse 30. Let both grow together until the uh, harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, there's our other word, first gather the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Go now to verse 37. Let's see what the harvest and the reapers represent. Are you in verse 37? He answered and said to them, He who sows the good seed is the Son of Man, Jesus. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. Only two groups when Christ returns, friends. How many groups? Two. We all have a choice to make. Are you with me? We continue. Verse 39. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. Here it is. The harvest is the... Uh, it's the end of the age or the world, and the reapers are the angels. Back to Revelation 14, now that we know what the harvest, and there's so much there in that parable, but my point is to know what the harvest represented and the reapers. Revelation 14 again, now that we know what the harvest represents, what does the harvest represent? Yeah, the end of the world, when Christ returns. Who are the reapers? Because when Christ returns, all His angels are coming, are coming with Him. Can you say amen? 
We're back in Revelation chapter 14. I'm reading verse 14. It says, Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, Jesus, having on his head a golden crown, and on his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. This is last day language. Can you say amen? This is second coming language. The earth is ripe for the harvest. The earth has put herself ripe for the coming of Christ. The gospel has gone to all the world. The three angels' messages and the two warnings have gone with it. And the earth has decided who they will follow. And Christ returns. Are you with me? Therefore, when we say that this is God's last day universal message, we don't think that's true. We know that's true. Are you understanding? The three angels' messages, God's last day message to the what? To the world. How many groups are there? Two groups. There is no other message past this message but the coming of Jesus. Now, let's unpack this more. I'm going to read to you some quotes here from SDA Bible Commentary, Volume 7. It says, Christ is coming the second time. Is that true? With power unto salvation to prepare human beings for this event. To prepare humans for what event? What has he given the world? The three angels' messages. You with me? The Bible, the Bible had told us this. To prepare the world for his coming, he has a message to the world. What's the first order of business, the everlasting? Today and next week, we're going to touch on the gospel. That's the first order of business. Can you say amen? And then the three imperatives. Fear God. Give glory to him, for his judgment hour has begun, and worship the creator. And then, because God loves us, he gives us two warnings to wake us up. Can you say amen? But here's the thing. If you don't know what these imperatives mean, or what Babylon has fallen means, or what don't worship the beast and his image means, how in the world can you keep it, and how in the world can you share it? Do you hear what I said? If you don't even know what these three angels mean and what all this implies, how in the world can you proclaim it and how in the world can you keep it? Are you with me? That's why it is imperative that we study these threefold messages. Can you say amen? And we will be following the will of God. Still, all right. Maranatha, page 173, here is a threefold message represented as proclaimed by heavenly beings and immediately... And what? Immediately following by the coming of the Son of Man to reap the harvest of the, what does she say? Earth. Now listen to me very carefully. These three angels flying in the midst of heaven, you're not going to see three literal angels. How do I know? Number one, the word angels in the Bible can be used quite loosely if you've been coming to prayer meeting on Zoom, you should know this. 
It, the word for angel in the Greek means messenger. Now, there are literal angels out there, can you say amen? But we also can use that word loosely as well. Have you ever used a word like this? Oh, she is such a, she's such an angel. Does that mean that she's a literal angel? No, we use that term sort of loosely, okay? But the word does mean also a message. Look at this. Second thing I know that this is not literal angels. Number two is this. What is the first order of business that, the, that this message has? The everlasting? Now here's my question. Who has Jesus given the commission to spread the gospel? If God had given this to literal angels to do, it would have been done in two days, if not less. But who did Jesus give the commission to spread the gospel? Us, disciples, followers. So what the Bible is saying is this, that you're not going to see literal. This is a message that God's people are going to have to internalize and give to the world. This is a heavenly message to the world is what it's saying there. Are you with me so far? Because God did not give the message or the proclamation for the angels to go. He gave it to us. And then in life sketches, he makes it very clear. I have had an experience in the first, second, and third angels' messages. The angels, here it is. The angels are, what's the word here? Represented as flying in the midst of heaven, proclaiming to the world a message of warning and having a direct bearing upon the people living in the last days of this earth's history. Look what she says next. No one hears the voice of these angels, for they are a... Ah, for they are a symbol to represent the people of God who are working in harmony with the universe of heaven. Men and women, enlightened by the Spirit of God and sanctified through the truth, proclaim the three messages in their order. They are combined to give light to the world. Are you with me? You see, before I can tell somebody the warning about Babylon and the mark of the beast, what God says is that first, let them know how much God loves them. Because you know what I've learned? If anybody's ever given a Bible study or held any meetings, I've learned this, that the opening night, you don't start with the mark of the beast. <laughs> What I've learned is this, is that when people begin to accept the first angel's message about the gospel and God's love for them and to reverence him and give glory, to, when they begin to accept that, they're more likely to adhere to the warning of Babylon has fallen and the mark of the beast. Are you understanding? But when you see them reject the first angel's message, they're more likely to reject the second and the third. Can you say, are you understanding what's happening here? Because when people fall in love with Jesus first and they want to follow his word, they're more likely than to adhere to what's happening in these warnings. Can you say amen? So, in the next few minutes, I want to begin to get into the everlasting gospel. And then part two will be next week, okay? So I'm a nice guy. I'm not going to keep you here forever, okay? So this is just part one, then we'll do part two, okay? But as we start part one, 
this is how I've summed up the gospel, and then I'm going to show you a little today and then more next week. This is my summation of the gospel. That the gospel is all about God's faithfulness to us, though we have been unfaithful to him. Did you hear what I said? The good news is all about how God has been faithful to his promises to us, though humanity have been unfaithful to God. And I'm going to show you from the Bible that though humanity has been unfaithful and unfaithful to their promises and what they've told God, but regardless, God has always dealt faithfully to humanity and us. God is faithful. Go to the book of Genesis. Let's Let's go back to the Garden of, Garden of Eden. We're almost done here. All right, just part one. We'll begin it, and then we'll do another one next week. First book of the Bible. So what was the first order of business in the three angels' messages? One person. The everlasting? All right. So let's take a look at that. In Genesis chapter 1, God begins to create the world in six literal days. Amen. He didn't rest on the seventh. So again, what we're going to see is this, that the scriptures point to Jesus and the faithfulness of God to humanity, though humanity have been unfaithful. So as we go to the book of Genesis and to the Garden of Eden. We're in Genesis chapter 2, look at verse 16 and 17. God had given a command to Adam. Say amen if you're there. Okay, we're almost there. We're almost done. Now listen, my wife tells me that you say that we're almost done like 50 times before you're, you do, you're finished. It's because, let me share why I do this, because I've experienced it and you have. You ever been at church and you just can't keep your eyes open, man? They're as heavy as anything. And then you hear, as we finish, bing, right, you sort of perk up and, oh, we're about done. So usually, like, you're, you're, so when you hear the words, as we finish, usually we perk up, right? So as we finish, we're in Genesis chapter 2. I, I'm, uh, this is how I am, and if I ever offend anybody by my words, I apologize in advance and come and tell me, but I think that we should be happy studying God's Word. Amen? We're in Genesis chapter 2, verse 16. The Bible says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree, singular, of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, what's going to happen? You're going to die. Now listen carefully and listen good. Many people... Many people will read this verse like this. And God said, when the day you eat of this tree, I'm going to kill you. That's not what God said. Amen. People read it that way like God says, oh, I can't wait till you eat of that forbidden tree so I can really, no, no, no. This is a warning from God like any father would warn his children not to cross the street. What happens if the child crosses the street? Could it happen that a bad thing will happen, yes or no? Yeah, this is, what God is saying is this. He's saying, for example, 
Do you know that small kids, they, they like to stick things into sockets? Do you know that? So you ever bought those things that you put in the sockets, right? Future parents, buy many, buy many of those. Put them in, put them in. Because I caught my daughter and my son, right? This is like, you know, they're going to run out with their hair sticking up and whatever, right? You don't want to stick the, the fork in the socket. Can you say amen? This is what God is doing here. Like a, like a, a loving parent, he says, please, don't stick the fork in the socket because if you do, it won't be good. Amen. It's a warning. He's trying to protect them. You're free to eat of everything. This one here will hurt you. Please stay away from it. Do you see the language of here of God? It's, it's complete compassion as a parent. Are you with me so far? So now we come to chapter 3, and we sort of hopefully know the story that Satan is using the serpent, and he begins to deceive Eve, yes? Okay. And let's begin in verse 4, okay? So I don't have time to get into, of course, all of it. There's other sermons for it, but we're trying to stay focused on what's happening here. We're in chapter 3, verse 4, it says, Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. What is he calling God here? Yeah, God is lying to you. And this tree is not going to kill you. It's not going to harm you. Don't keep from sticking the fork in the socket. Stick the fork in the socket. Are you with me? We continue. For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So then when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Did they adhere to God's counsel? Would it have done them well and the rest of humanity if they would have adhered to God's counsel? I think it's because God wants the best for us, amen? Sometimes we don't understand everything, but understand this, that whatever it might be, you know that God wants the best for you trust in him. Amen. We continue reading. What verse are we on now? We're in verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and Eve ran to God. Is that what it says? That's right. They ran from God. They hid themselves in the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Verse 9, And the Lord God called to Adam and said, Adam, where, where are you? And he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Verse 11, And God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you you should not eat? And the man said, Oh, oh, oh this woman, this woman who you gave to be with me, she, she gave to me of the tree and I ate. And the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, oh, oh, the serpent, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So look at the picture. In the Hebrew, when it says that the Lord God walked, came walking, in the Hebrew, it, it, it means on a, this isn't like the first time they saw God coming. 
It was, on a regular, it was a regular occurrence that God would, would come and walk with them with Jesus here. This is really Jesus that would walk with them there, and they would love to commune with them. Can you say amen? There's a, there was a continuation here, but this time things were different. Instead of running to God and saying, oh, God, we're so happy to see you, Jesus, thank you. I can't wait that we go walking and admire your creation. Listen to the beautiful words. They ran from him. And then when he came to Eve, he said, to Adam, he said, what have you done? And he begins to blame his wife. And as they say, husbands have been blaming their wives ever since. Let's not do that. And sometimes the wives blame the husbands. Let's not do that. And then the woman blamed the serpent, whom you made. Who made the woman? Jesus, God. So if he's saying the woman was the problem, who is he actually blaming? And who made the serpent? Okay, now, God did not make Satan, but Satan is using the serpent. And then he's blaming God. she's blaming God as well, right? Oh, the serpent here. Are you with me so far? Yes? Okay, now, look at verse 17. What God had said would happen. We're almost done. Stay with me. As we finish, what God had said, if you stick the fork in the socket, now he reveals to them, here's what I said would happen. We're in verse 17. And Adam said, because you have, and, and, and to Adam he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat. Cursed is the ground for your sake, and in toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat of the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face, verse 19, you shall eat of the bread till the, you return to the ground for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall what? Return. You're going to die. You see, here's the thing. Did you know that in a sense, Adam and Eve did die that day? Spiritually. Because if you're running from God, you're not doing well spiritually. <laughs> And then next week we'll unpack that more, that a defenseless animal was killed right there to foreshadow the coming Savior. Are you with me so far? Okay. But what God had said would happen is happening. Now here's where we're about to close. Seriously. I'm being serious. Being serious. Here's the thing. Here's my main point now for today with this section. Instead of coming with the biggest belt you can think of to give them the biggest spanking. Or, with a snap of a finger, God could have wiped out Adam and Eve. Yes or no? Could have. Boom, it's over. Here's the thing. Instead of coming to rebuke, he does give a little bit of rebuke here, but to punish, in a sense, to wipe them out, whatever, this is your problem, this is your fault, you deal with it, listen carefully. Christ came not to condemn, but to save, but to offer hope. What was the concept in John three seventeen? For God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be. That concept is seen right here in the Old Testament. 
It's not a, oh, this is a, a new concept that Christ is... No, no, this concept in, found in verse 317 of John is seen right here because God never changes. Amen. His character never changes. God is just as loving here as He was when He was in the flesh. Amen. Let me show you that in John 3.15, the very first prophecy of all the Bible. Gen yeah, thank you. Genesis 3.15. Sorry. Genesis 3.15. Let me show you that. Now God directs His attention to the serpent being used by Satan, knowing that Adam and Eve are listening in, and look what He says, and I will put enmity between you, talking to the serpent there, knowing that Satan is using it, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is the very first prophecy of all the Bible. Let me summarize this verse to you as Adam and Eve are listening in to what God is telling Satan here. You think you've won today. But through the seed of a woman, a Savior will come and he will find the victory over you on man's behalf. And as he goes through this, being crushed, the Hebrew there, the word bruised there is not as strong as it should be. It should be as he will crush his head and his heel will be crushed. In other words, that while the Savior would be saving the world, he would also be wounded. This is a good shepherd language. Okay, look. A good shepherd, if they were with their flocks and they saw a poisonous snake about to bite their sheep, a good shepherd, look at this, would run and take the venom in the place of the, shep of the, of the sheep by crushing the head of the serpent. He would, in its place, take the venom. What Christ is saying is, I'm going to take the venom that belongs to humanity. It's going to be on me. He comes not to condemn, but to do what? Offer hope. Yeah. Adam and Eve, it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. Though you messed up, I'm going to make things right. What did I say? The gospel? That God is faithful to those who have been unfaithful. God is faithful to humanity, though humanity had been unfaithful to him. Are you with me? And that theme we're going to see all throughout the Bible next week. Last few slides. I want to also tell you that here we know that the land has felt the curse as well, right? Do you know that, who here likes the fall? Anybody like the fall? But you know that, no, okay, I like the spring better. <laughs> but when leaves fall, we like to see the colors, but it's dying. Did you know that? The land has felt the curse more and more heavily before the flood. The first leaf which fell and was discovered decaying upon the ground caused those who feared God great sorrow. They mourned over it as we mourn over the loss of a dead friend. In a decaying leaf, they could see an evidence of the curse and of the decay of nature. Know this, that decay and death and suffering was never the will of God 
for his plan. But because humanity messed up, God remains faithful. God would remain faithful to humanity though humanity had been unfaithful to God. That's the gospel. God's faithfulness. He had been unfaithful. God still remains faithful to his promises. And we're going to see that because of this, God's calling us to be faithful to him. Amen. So here it is, last few slides. Enmity. God promised Adam and Eve that their descendants that uh, through that though humanity had fallen into sin, God would implant within us a sense of hostility toward evil, an inclination to resist evil, and long for restoration to our original state of innocence. We'll talk about that more next week. And then seed. God would send salvation to the world in the form of a special human seed, our offspring, on whom the promised enmity will take full form, singular and riping conquest over Satan. This seed would crush the head of the serpent. This offspring would conquer Satan on behalf of humanity. And yet, in the process of crushing the head of the serpent, the Savior would be wounded. Last two slides. Selected messages. The message proclaimed by the angel flying in the midst of heaven, look at this, is the everlasting gospel, is the same gospel that was declared in Eden when God said to the serpent, I will put enmity between, them, uh, between thee and the woman and the, between her seed and her seed. Same gospel. Same gospel. It shall, bru- uh, it shall bruise the head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Here was the first promise of a Savior who would stand on the field of battle to, co- to contest the power of Satan and prevail against him. God has fought and is fighting for you. He's the team I want to be on. Amen. Last two slides. But man was not abandoned. If you un- only understood what this sentence is saying, but man was not abandoned to the results of the evil he had chosen. He there is man. And the sentence pronounced upon Satan was given an intimation of redemption. And then she quotes this verse, God has not abandoned you. Before they heard of the thorn, look at this, before they heard of the thorn and the thistle, of the toil and sorrow of the must, uh, that must be their portion, or the dust to which they must return, they listened to the words that could not, uh, could not fail of giving them hope. Look at that. Before God said, oh, the earth is going to be cursed, you're going to have to work in it, and before they heard, you're going to return to the dust, before all of that, what they first heard was hope. I'm going to be faithful to you though you've been unfaithful to me, but I am faithful. I am going to conquer for you because I love you. All that has been lost by yielding to Satan could be regained through Christ. The gospel. The gospel. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved.
Thank you, Jesus. I'm so thankful that God is faithful even to those who have been unfaithful. Anybody else? I've been unfaithful in my life. I've done things and know that I've let God down, but I can hold on to this promise that I know that God will remain faithful to me in his promises. And when that hits the heart, you'll never be the same. When that stops being a colloquial saying, you will never be the same. When it goes from here to here, that God loves us unconditionally and has done all he can to save us, it will change your life. This podcast is a service of the University Parkway Seventh-day Adventist Church in Pensacola, Florida. Our weekly podcasts are recorded every Saturday morning. Bible study begins at 9.30. The sermon begins at 11. You are invited to join us. We live stream the 11 o'clock service. You can catch that broadcast at our website, universitypkwy.org, or at Livestream. A library of previous messages is available on our YouTube channel and on our website. Thank you for listening.